Across the city and South Cambridgeshire. On FM, digital and your mobile. Cambridge 105 Radio. I'm going to read you the menu. It's fantastic. So we get better flavour because of the fen soil. I've drunk more beer since I came here and bought my two barrels than I've ever done in my life before, I think. I shouldn't have said almonds. They don't make it from almonds. <laughs> so you've got this big sticky mess when you start off. Pizza pot pints. My wife's cakes are selling up hotcakes. Brilliant, thank you. The time is right for this sort of thing. Food is everything. Cambridge is right for this sort of thing. What's it like? Delicious. <laughs> Good afternoon. Welcome to Flavour with Alan Alder, Sue Bailey and myself, Matt Bentman. Thanks to Ollie Slack for the sport. And this will be Flavour's last programme brought to you at 1pm on a Saturday. From the 12th of September, we will be reverting to our previous time of 12 noon. So, today, we speak with Sarah Lavelle from Quadrille Publishing about some new books coming out in September, including a new one by Tim Haywood. We have an in-depth look at the bagel and also talk with a coffee provider on Cambridge Market. And we speak with Bill Brogan from St John's College about what lockdown has meant for their catering operation. And we've a few words from CoFarm, the first community farm in Cambridge, and they'll be telling us about how they're getting on. But first, we've talked a lot on flavour about the effects of COVID-19 on local food providers. But what about the colleges? They're still there, not all students have gone home, and many staff live on site. They all need to eat. I spoke with Bill Brogan, the catering and conference manager of St John's College. What has been happening in in the college and how have things been faring? It's gone very well. I mean, we have actually stayed open as a, as a catering department. We've been doing takeaway lunches all, all the way through. And that's for any students that have been at the college, uh, any Western Fellows and staff, because still staff have been here working. And that's gone all the way through. And, I mean, we are doing about 100 meals a day at lunchtime. And then from the 29th of uh, June, we started doing evening dinner service as well. So it has been appreciated by the students and by every, everyone. And, I mean, one of the things is, A, it's not just about feeding them, but it's also about getting them out to meet people and runs because a lot of them are just in their rooms studying and things like that so they can get out and talk to the staff and everything. And so, yes, I mean, that, that has all gone very well. We've been using our uh, vegetable disposable items because it's all been takeaway, so th- those items we, 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 we clip back in. They are washed and then they're all sent off uh, to be turned into soil literature as well, so bit of a positive impact on the planet instead of a negative one because it's quite difficult at the moment with everybody wearing PPE and everything else. That, that's very impressive actually. I think um, the fact that all this has been going on very quietly behind the scenes has probably not been appreciated by non-sort of university people in Cambridge. Yeah, yes, that's right. I mean, probably a lot of people don't know that we've been still been operating and everything else and uh, it was certainly at the beginning in March and April it was quite strange coming in and not seeing anybody A, drive into work or come into work and walking around the town it was desolate but everybody's carried on and actually during this time we've been getting everything ready for the reopening up of the college uh, re-analysing all our systems procedures, manuals and, and everything else through throughout the summer so we've had, we've had a, a small team on but they've actually all been clicking and working very well together. 
and the college has been very supportive. And during this time, we've decided, uh, well, whole way through is to go and drop off some cakes, chocolate brownies and things like that to two care homes. So we've been dropping them off and they've been really appreciated to two care homes within, within Cambridge. And the chefs have actually taken those and delivered them and made them fresh on the day and then taken them down there early early afternoon. And I've, I've rang the care home up each day and said, look, look, dropped off at two o'clock. And so that's gone down very well um, and very well appreciated. And ho- hopefully when when things are all better, we might be able to get two or three other staff in from these two care homes and have a cup of tea with them or something like that, have an afternoon tea with them and say thank you for all the work they've done. I mean, there's many, many people, you know, have done great jobs, but we've just focused on those two, two care homes. So really, things such as wines going out of date or foodstuffs needing to be disposed of, you haven't really had any of those problems? No, we've, we've not had any of that. I mean, quite frankly... All the juice, we, we had quite a bit of juicing because we were very busy when it all suddenly stopped. We've all utilised that up and, and used that, that up. And actually, we've just been bought in the food, cooked it fresh and served it. And quite frankly, there hasn't been any waste. We've just cooked and used everything up and minimised the sandwich orders and everything else to what we want to re- absolutely reduce to virtually zero waste. No, that's fantastic. During this, we, we did a VE Day celebration. So we played the music, we decorated... Even though it was only, you know, uh, a takeaway, people coming in, you know, they're listening to Verilene and we had all the flags out, so that made it a bit different for them. So that, that was very good. All members of staff got a fruit and vegetable box uh, and that was delivered to their house within the Cambridge and Greater Cambridge area. That was paid for by, by two uh, do- donations to, to the college and we used a local supplier, our local vegetable supplier, to go and deliver them, so... That was something different for him, but he enjoyed doing that because he knew it was really for a good cause. And we had great feedback from the staff on that as well. It made them made them feel very valued and important, which it is at this because it's been a difficult time for everybody. Well, that's a really good feeling of community, which I think is why college, the college ethos, is is so very community, family oriented in that sense. Yes, that's right. We've also taken on what. He, he started the week that COVID started with really, a new apprentice, and he's been doing very well. We've had him training and doing lots of different new new dishes and things, so he's really enjoyed it. It's been a very strange time for him, of course, but um, he's really got into it and really enjoyed the challenge of doing different things, and he's been making some of the items as well for the care home and trying out different puddings and desserts and everything else. So generally, it's, got, it's gone very well. We've actually been in contact with our staff. We are in contact with the, with the staff uh, uh, on a weekly basis just to make sure that they're all keeping well and because of the wellness aspect and the mental health issues. But it has actually been quite tough. And what some of the people forget is that we've got quite a few catering staff here, but some have not been, been working. And that some are international and they could not get home. You know, and they're sitting in bed sits here in Cambridge, so we've been ringing them up to make sure that they're okay and everything else. What are your plans looking forward to the start of the autumn term? Well, we've done a, a, a massive uh, doc- document and the college is getting very well prepared. There's break of the meetings every, every, every week. I've just had a meeting with my heads of department today. So we will be doing a still carrying on with the takeaway service for, for the students when they're, when they're back breakfast, lunch and dinner and we're just 
we've got everything in plans, all the risk assessments, everybody will be wearing PPE, uh, and we've laid up queuing systems. We've also done a click and collect system that's just about to go live. And we just set up a little uh, grocery shop. In fact, I've just been working on that now with, with the team. So in the college bar will be a grocery shop for key items for the students to save them kind of rushing out to you know, the shops in town every 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 minute with you. Hopefully help, help them make them feel a bit more secure anyway. Well, that's a very good idea. And so is there dining in hall going to be taking place or not? Uh, no, no not, not, not to start with, to be honest. We're, we're not looking to do that. We might do a couple of small, very small events, you know, for the for the freshers coming back, but that's not actually been agreed as yet. Mm-hmm. But the formal dining, which is a big part, and we know of the collegiate Cambridge experience, we won't be doing that to to start with, not till at least November, even if we start it then, quite frankly. So that will be a bit different, and hopefully uh, when things get better, we can all get on to doing that and doing the things that we all like doing and the students love attending, quite frankly. Part of the traditions of, of Cambridge are things like Mabel's and uh, dining in hall, but, uh, well, things have had to be put on hold for very good reason to keep everyone safe. Yeah, yeah yes, that's right, yes. I, I, I mean, everybody, uh, you know, not just St John's here, but everybody's missed a lot and I, I had to give up a lot. You know, we've had all, all the events, you know, the Mabel's, absolutely everything been cancelled this year so it's affected a lot of people have you um been in contact with your with other catering managers in the other yeah. colleges yeah 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 we we, we do regular uh, meetings zoom meetings uh, they're normally on a thursday we we, we share good uh, learning points about what everybody's doing so we do that with the catering managers and also we've been checking that to make sure all the suppliers are okay uh, because it's a tough time for them because obviously they're not quite as busy as what they're normally used to and also with other industry bodies you know we've been talking to them get their uptake on what what is happening i mean with that we've been doing a lot of online training for the staff they've done lots of webinar trainings with different organizations so that's been been very good and very very positive this has been a chance for everyone to try and do as best they can and turn positive as you say i think college has been very positive and very good. I, I also do believe that while the hospitality industry, in which I actually do work, had a really tough time, I think there's been some great initiatives and really positive energy shown by people that are in very difficult circumstances. No, Thanks to Bill Brogan from St John's. On to the first of our news bulletins now. And related to the St John's feature, the West Cafe on the university's west site is now serving hot food again. Today, Saturday from 3 until 8pm, Steak and Honour are at the Fox in Burwell and the Cambridge Cider Company is popping up in Bassingbourne High Street from now until 6pm. Tonight, from 5 till 8, Pimp My Fish will be at the Bank Micropub in Willingham. That's in the High Street by the post office. Pre-orders can be made via social media or their website. And tomorrow, Sunday, Steak and Honour will be at Over the Tracks, which is next to Rushwell House off Coldham's Lane. And that's from 5.30 until 10pm. Also there will be Curra Curra and there will be a bar provided by Thirsty. Food will need to be pre-ordered. Again, use social media or websites. The 15% off still wines from Vine and Cork to celebrate their second anniversary ends tomorrow. If you want to take advantage of it, use the code THANKS15, that's capital letters and the number 15 with no gaps. 
The Modern Table, set up by Liz Young, lately of Cambridge Cookery, will be preparing a couple of take-home meals on Fridays from Meadows in Eltersley Avenue. They'll all be vegetarian and will need to be ordered in advance. And that begins next weekend. Now, the concept of the modern bagel originated on the Lower East Side in Manhattan, New York. Well, I took a trip to the Lower East Side of Cambridge Market for this next piece. Bada bing, bada boom. Me and my New York associates, we've been thinking, who's this skinny kid muscling in on the bagel business? I really like a bagel. Just, I could eat bagels all day, every day, and never get bored of them. That's why I've got so many at home. So I have one for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. I'm not, I mean, I should say I'm fed up with them, but I'm just not, so I just love them to bits. Isn't that the sound of someone you just want to buy some bagels from? And not just bagels, proper bagels. I'm Alex Richards, and this is Bagel Box Limited. What's the matter, Clive? There is an alien in the kitchenette making bagels and coffee. Bagels and coffee. Did you want tea? So they're boiled and baked fresh every morning, so they're nice and soft for you. Much better than any sort of supermarket brand or any other brand you'll find elsewhere. That's the secret. It's not a secret. But that's the way that proper bagels are made. Boiled and baked. So what is a shop-bought bagel like in comparison to Alex's? Much harder, much chewier. I describe them as a roll with a hole because they're not really boiled and baked either. They're just chucked in the oven with the rest of the bread that they have to bake that day. So they're not really proper bagels anyway. They're just rolls with holes. There's two well-known styles of bagel. There's the New York bagel and the Montreal style. What's the difference? And which ones are Alex's like? Probably closer to the New York style. They're still soft, but the exterior and the chewiness of them gives them more New York style than sort of a buttery sort of melt-in-the-mouth feel that you'd get from Montreal style. But I mean, I still think they're brilliant and everyone else thinks they're delicious as well. And then there's the original bagel. Usually we have the bagel, which is the Jewish version, which is much softer, much more brioche in origin. And then you have the New York style bagel, which is much more chewy, crispy on the outside. And what I've done is I've thrown them both together. So you've got a shiny texture, but they're still quite soft on the inside, like the Jewish bagel would be. So because of that, it appeases both types of people that would enjoy a bagel, because they're happy with both. And I've had good feedback from the Jewish community. I've had good feedback from people from America and Canada. And so people have said that they're as good as New York bagels, as good as some of the Jewish provinces in London and places like that. So yeah, I'm quite happy with how they've turned out now. If you want to be in the baking business, you have to be up early. Yeah, so I'm, I'm at the market all day because it's my business. I got up half past one on a Sunday. So I've already been up for nearly, well, just shy of 12 hours now, so yeah. I was in there for five minutes buying bagels. When I started, I made 500 plus bagels before I got my recipe perfect how I wanted it. Even then it took longer to get the cinnamon and raisin done and the small ones done just because all the consistencies change. You go to the bagel shop and you gotta have a bagel. You can't have a supermarket bagel, okay? I had a shop-bought bagel and just thought I could do loads better. Got a recipe online, changed the whole thing because it was rubbish. It required quite a lot of yeast, so it made it really yeasty, quite almost doughy. It didn't really cook properly. They were very flat, they didn't rise, and they were just, you could knock a nail in with them, they were that hard. So it was, it was quite a lot of tweaking. It was like, change the yeast, then I went from honey to agave syrup to make sure they're vegan. Here's a quick explanation for anyone who doesn't know what agave is. I didn't know until a couple of years ago. Yeah, so I'd say it's probably a mix between sort of honey and golden syrup. So it's slightly sweeter than honey. It has the consistency of golden syrup. And it's from a plant. And it's from a plant. Yeah. So much better for you. Not stolen from bees. No, not stolen from bees. <laughs> so yeah. I guess one of the most popular bagel fillings is cream cheese and salmon. 
In America, they call that cheese and lox, with lox being... Salmon. Cured salmon. Yeah, cured yeah. salmon, yeah. I mean, I can't, cured salmon is quite hard to get in the UK, so I use um, Scottish smoked salmon, which is, I think, another take on quite a good classic sort of alternative. But the cream cheese is beautiful, yeah, it's lovely. It's good to make friends with someone who knows how to make fresh bagels. Um, yeah, well, funnily enough, most of my friends are at uni and things like that, so it's really just sort of just sort of focus on this, get this all done, and then obviously when I see them at Christmas and summer, then we're sort of yeah, we're eating bagels, salmon and cream cheese bagels in the garden, drinking our beer and things like that, yeah. So his friends may have gone off to uni, but Alex knew exactly what he wanted from life. I was like, I want to have my own business, food, food business, done. I knew that as long as I had the foundations of it all, eventually it'd all click into place. I'm happy where I am. I think it's a good idea and it'll be pretty good fun. And that all happened in the last year or so. Yeah, a year and a bit. Bagels, bagels, bagels. So what kind of fillings can you get at the Bagel Box stall here at Cambridge Market? We've obviously got all the classics. We've got salmon and cream cheese, cream cheese, hot salt beef for the Londoners that come down and places like that because it's quite a London-esque sort of meal. Otherwise we've got cheese and ham, tuna, my special one is a chorizo pizza, so I take a bagel, I cut it in half and then I put some butter on, toast it for a little bit, put some cheese, chorizo, put it back together so the pizza is basically the filling in the bagel and people really like that one. Don't forget your vegan fillings. For vegan options we've got red pepper hummus and roasted veg which I also do with hummus. Yeah, the red pepper is the cold so it's really popular on a really hot summer's day, especially when we're in the sort of 30 degree heats as we keep finding ourselves in recently. Seasonal choices too. What else we got? In the winter, I do soup and the mini bagels. So, because they're the right sort of size to sort of dunk into soup. So, that's what I do for those as well. As well as um, small children have them for snacks. Today, we've got plain black sesame seed and then small plain ones as well today. Bagels were originally designed as a savoury rather than a sweet option. It was only about 60 years ago that you started to see things like cinnamon bagels. So, I guess you could say cinnamon is rather like a second generation bagel flavour. These ones here, yeah, so these ones are cinnamon and raisin, those ones. Um, back when bagels were, I see, I know this, back when bagels were sort of first invented and things like that, cinnamon was quite hard to get hold of. Well, where it was grown, it was sort of, they didn't really think about adding cinnamon and raisin into things and putting it into this and that because it was mostly used for sweeteners. They're a little bit darker because the cinnamon changes the colour of them. They need more water because the cinnamon absorbs more and the raisins don't like getting wet either, so they sort of all absorb loads of water, so they need about double the normal amount of water quantity needed for plain and seeded bagels. Because of the raisins and the cinnamon, they don't like hot water, so the water's got to be a slightly cooler temperature than the other bagel temperature of the water. So it's all very complicated, and it took me a while to realise that the water temperature affects everything anyway, and then the faster I pour it in, the softer they are. The slower I pour it in, the sort of more heavy and dense they are. Very complex. And no regrets. No, I don't regret it one bit, except the early starts, but that's fine. (laughs) So that's a happy Alex Richards of the Bagel Box store on Cambridge Market. But what days can you find him there? On Tuesdays, Wednesdays and Sundays. The smell of warm, freshly made bagels wafting from that store is something else. And you may have to be quick, because there are plenty of real bagel aficionados in Cambridge who know where he is quite a lot of Canadians and Americans sort of see the bagel sign, they see me and they come running over and they're like, bagels, must have one, haven't had one since I've left America. I haven't had a proper one, should I say, since I've left America. And then they try one and then they're coming back time and time again. I may have been thrown off by Britta's pronunciation of the word bagel. How do you pronounce bagel? I don't. Come on. Bagel. Ugh. 
are the worst. Alex touched briefly on his seasonal bagel variations. I'm looking forward to winter when he does turkey and cranberry, and my favourite, biting into a nice hot melted brie and cranberry bagel out in the crisp winter air. You can check out Alex's bagel business online, where you can see the full menu and an order form. He even does orders for offices too, and events. That's all at bagelbox.co.uk. He's on Facebook too, as Bagelbox. I'm free. I'm free. Here's our fortnightly reminder that the Olio app, which is free to download, has details of free food available every day, in and around Cambridge. Now we can't give you up-to-date information as we're not live today, but they include a huge number of items from Pret-a-Manger, for example hot wraps, macaroni, salads, baguettes, assorted pastries and croissants. In addition, there's been a can of chickpeas, coconut milk, PG Tips tea and various baby foods. All of these items free. All of these items available in or around Cambridge. And there is another free app called Too Good To Go, which a number of food outlets in and around Cambridge use to sell any unsold goods they have shortly before they close. And there are knockdown prices. You're listening to Flavour on Cambridge 105 Radio, and we'll be back in a couple of minutes with a feature about new food books. Cambridge 105 Radio. Join me, Neil Jones, every Tuesday here on Cambridge 105 Radio for the very best from the world of rock. Every week we'll bring you big name interviews, all the latest from the local scene here in Cambridge and the very best rock songs around. It's two hours of rock every single Tuesday from nine o'clock with me, Neil Jones, right here across the city in South Cambridgeshire on Cambridge 105 Radio. Need dropping off at work? Miss the bus and must make that urgent appointment. Need picking up after a night out with your mates? Panther Taxis is your Cambridge-based taxi firm with over 700 drivers, offering great rates and local knowledge, ensuring you make it quickly and safely to your destination. We don't inflate our prices at peak times, and all our drivers accept payments by cash or card. Book your taxi the easy way. Download our free Panther Taxis app through your app store and start booking your taxis on the go. Call Cambridge 715 715 or see panthertaxis.co.uk. Panther Taxis, your local quick, reliable and friendly taxi company in the city. CKLG Accountants are a friendly team of accountants and tax advisors with big firm expertise. I'm Sarah, one of CKLG's friendly tax advisors. Creating and preserving wealth is an aspiration for many of our clients. In our complex world of changing legislation and family circumstances, we listen and provide you and your family with bespoke tax advice tailored to your needs. To find out more, call us on Cambridge 810100 to arrange an initial chat with one of our specialists or visit our website cklg.co.uk. CKLG Accountants, your partner in business, your partner in life. On now to some good new food books published by Quadril Publishing in September, and Alan spoke with publishing director and Cambridge resident Sarah Lavelle about three of them. The first was Home Cookery Year by Claire Thompson. Yeah, so it's an absolutely huge book, over 400 pages, but it's packed with absolutely fantastic recipes for and pretty much every day of the year, all you could ever want, really. Yeah, I, I thought it was a lovely book, actually. It's... 
It's got such a fresh look. Well, not just look about it. The the recipes have a freshness to them as well. Yeah, that's good. Um, I'm pleased to hear you say that. It was um, it was a book that we talked about for a long time. We wanted something. I don't know about you, but I sort of grew up with my mum having like the dairy book of home cookery and good housekeeping. They were really the only cookbooks we had, I have to say. And um, we used to cook from them pretty much every day. So Claire and I, you know, we wanted to make something that would be that essential go-to book in the kitchen that you knew you could turn to any page of it and find something that the whole family would enjoy. Um, and the sort of nature of how Claire cooks is that it is seasonal. Um, so it fits in with the year, but it, she's not sort of preachy about seasonality. It's really just about using the best ingredients at the right times. She has professional experience as a chef, doesn't she? She does, yeah. She's a trained chef and her husband, Matt, is a trained chef as well. Um, both worked in London and they owned a restaurant in, in Bristol for quite a long time. Um, so, yeah, she's good. She's just really good with flavour and combination. And although she's a trained chef, the recipes are not at all difficult. They're, they're very easy to do. Um, as I say, they're very family friendly. And I cook from her books an awful lot, I have to say. I just think her recipes are fantastic. And I've already, I've, I've been lucky, of course, I get a preview of the book. So I've already been cooking from home cookery here quite a lot. Well, when I saw it was aimed at cooking for the family, it didn't lead me to expect such imaginative dishes, really. I mean, I looked through from the beginning and the, the first thing you see is asparagus with eggs, wild garlic and clotted cream on crumpets. Well, that's not the food I was brought up on anyway. <laughs> no, well, me neither. But I think Claire's travelled quite widely. She she was actually she was born in um, Africa and spent a sort of... A, a, early years there and, and um, Matt's from New Zealand and they they've sort of backpacked around the world together I think they even had their baby Grace sort of in a backpack as they went around so Gosh. she takes in lots of influences from, from all around the world and her stepmother is actually from Chengdu in China so you find so many really interesting influences in her flavours and, and her dishes um, so yeah it makes it a very sort of eclectic mix yeah, well, there's a good use of different herbs and spices, isn't there? Yeah, there is. Um, I just think she's got such a way with with flavour. Um, and it's nothing... I think because she's used to cooking for her three children, if you're cooking for a family there, there's nothing that's too sort of scary and outrageous like my children. One of them's very good with chilli, for instance. The other one um, can can any hint of pepper and it sort of puts her off. Um, but everything there is is um, is great for the family. But there also she does amazing. There are, in every single season has amazing feasts um, with um, sort of various dishes that you could serve up um, for a whole sort of party. It's not all just family uh, of four dishes every single day. There are loads of feasts for friends and various occasions. Yeah, well, things like elderflower and Sauvignon Blanc cured sea trout is a treat in my book yes that's lovely and there's um there's a fantastic salmon recipe in there that i've actually cooked for um gosh i must have i must have done it about 10 times actually i, I was lucky enough to taste it at the shoot and it's um a side of salmon very slow cooked with butter and herbs and 
um, she serves it as a salad. It's so amazing and so easy. You just you sort of put it in the oven with um, a kind of water bath, and and you just sort of forget about it for half an hour. And it just the salmon is perfect when it comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also some there's a really brilliant simple beef carbonara stew, um, sort of beef shin stewed in a dark Belgian beer, and that's delicious. And um, and then there's a pork carnitas that I've cooked a lot as well. It's Mexican. You serve with um, uh, tortillas and you know and guacamole and sides. Um, but yeah, she's just got she's just such a dab hand with these and make beautiful combinations of yeah, ingredients yeah. and flavors. And it's also quite on trend. Things like jollof rice. I suppose it comes from her time in Africa. Yeah, but from her from her travels. I mean, I, I think she's you should, she's keen that that people you know learn new things but that also that you feel sort of comfortable with the basics of cooking she's a really mm-hmm. good teacher um and i've seen her sort of teach classes of people and they i think people just can't uh, they're amazed at how simple it is really to me the book had a feel i don't know if saying to someone that their book reminds you of someone else is a good idea really but it does remind me a bit of bill granger's books which to me is a great compliment yeah i mean actually bill granger is somebody whose books i've used a lot over the years again you know ingredients are really minimal but the the way that they um the way that he combines them for flavor and also the way they look on the plate yeah really sort of fresh um ingredients i, I would agree with that right so when's the book coming out um that's out very shortly it's in september Right, a somewhat different book, uh, The Wicked Baker, Cakes and Treats to Die For. And The Wicked Baker is Elena Garcia. <laughs> it is different. It's. <laughs> I wish everybody listening could see it. Well, hopefully they, they will when they go and buy it, because it's quite unlike any uh, baking book there has been before, I think. Yes, I haven't ever seen anything like it. <laughs> well, Elena is... Um, I think lots of people will recognise her when they see her because she was on um, last year's Great British Bake Off. She didn't make it through to the final, but she was certainly one of the most memorable contestants that I think perhaps they've ever had. Um, Every single week, Elena found a way to make the challenge some sort of gothic or (laughs) horror-based creation. She was absolutely fantastic she dresses amazingly you know sort of full uh, goth and so yes we she wanted to do a book that was that took some of those spooky bakes which was our working title for a while but kind of elevate them into just these amazing beautiful kind of set pieces of cakes and setups and it's just an extraordinary book and she's she's extraordinary too yeah well it is and and it's a beautifully i don't know produced book isn't it the photographs are fantastic and the settings uh, the food settings i think they had a lot of fun on that photo shoot they really (laughs) did i mean a full you know full costume as well as the all the table settings um yeah i mean every day must be halloween around it around elena's house i think um but it is a it's a really fun and playful take i think on them those cakes that she does and there are I, i don't know if you noticed there are loads of sort of film references in there there are uh, references to Tim Burton and um, Adam's family, but there are also those kind of overtly gothic Grimm's fairy tales sort of inspiration. 
Yeah. I liked it when she talks about the, the cakes based on blood candles, which she has at home. Uh, she says, these candles are covered in black wax, but when you light them, they drip blood. <laughs> I think they're really cool. So I, I had to adapt them into an edible equivalent. <laughs> <laughs> She's so funny. Did you see the I, the I love you eyeball truffles? <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I was also highly amused by the... Uh, not just gingerbread men or women, but uh, gingerbread twins from The Shining. That, they're yeah, pretty impressive. And, and the All Saints uh, lollipops, which were ghosts, but really cute ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> so it's um, we we are publishing um, in time for for Halloween, but I actually think it's a sort of uh, it's a year round book. I think if you were having a fun party, there'd be an amazing centerpiece or just little biscuits bat biscuits and things that you could make there's some really lovely ideas yes there are and sorry when's that coming out um i think it's out in september and then there's a new book from tim haywood there is indeed and it's called loaf story no surprise that it's about bread (laughs) (laughs) um that's out in, in the middle of september I mean, it's very clearly written by Tim Hayward. It's got so many of his features in it, I suppose. You know, food history, uh, looking at different food cultures, uh, differences to uh, in the class-based food preferences in Britain. But although it's clearly a Tim Hayward book, it's a unique book. I don't think I've seen a book like it. Well, well no, I, I hope not. We were really hoping to do something new with it. Yes, as you say, it's it's a book about the sort of social history of bread but also bread as a almost as a sort of design object it's just something that's so perfect and familiar to so many people and um, it's you know and, and it's just something we all know and that we all kind of turn to for comfort and and what that what that means to us um how important bread is in in everybody's lives and there was so much i think once tim started looking into it there was so much to sort of say about it, or not just in terms of the of the recipes themselves. So, as you say, while it's got recipes in, it's it's so much more than that. Yeah, and and some unusual ones. Uh, I mean, lampaghetto from Florence, which she says is a soft roll packed with hot sauce and the long, slow braised third stomach of a cow. Uh, you don't come across that every day, do you? No, I'm not sure I'd want to. No. <laughs> uh, I'm not convinced by tripe, but um, but it's it's nice to hear Tim talk about it. <laughs> and there's experimentation as well. Uh, he's obviously a late convert to the crisp sandwich, but he's experimented with lots of different uh, things to put with your crisps in a sandwich. Now, not many people write about that. Yeah, I think Tim still needs some convincing about the crisp sandwich, I have to say. Uh, Did you need convincing about it? (laughs) I love crisps. I do. (laughs) Maybe it's a northern thing. I I was horrified that when he hadn't had a crisp sandwich, it made him do that for the book. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's just sort of, it's funny, I think, with the book, that the the first actual recipe is beans on toast, but... We, but there isn't, it isn't really a recipe. And that was the thing, that Tim didn't want to write recipes per se. But what is interesting is him talking through the recipes. So that's how we did the book. So it's it's sort of divided up by on bread, in bread and with bread and takes some of the most 
familiar examples of sandwiches or things on toast and then you know you you learn for instance why in a in a blt that you would put the bacon on first and then you'd put the tomato on first then the iceberg lettuce which is basically to keep the tomato away from the sort of toasted bread so that it doesn't go soggy but can you imagine it in a recipe if you can't you don't have the time to go into that so you just so so we came up with this solution whereby tim talks you through a classic dish involving bread um and then if you wanted to just if you just want the basics to cook yourself then we put a separate section at the back that is the really sort of short summarized version of the recipe yeah i thought it was really helpful actually uh, and there's quite a lot about, I don't know, British social history in a way. Uh, I don't know if you recall the bit where he talks about when he was a child and he used to go to the seaside. Uh, I'll read a bit. There was never a good spot nearby. It was always over the next endless June, an interminable hot trek, feet slipping in boiling sand and, unlike Lawrence of Arabia, without a convenient intermission. Eventually, our spirit would break before we could find a good spot. So we'd settled for three square metres, miraculously free of dog deposits, but not far enough away from the couple trying energetically to consummate under a small towel. We'd slumped to the ground, and only then were we able to contemplate the horror of the sandwiches. That's good, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, it's really good. I mean, the aim is that it, you know, this is a book you would just sit and read. But if you so, if you wanted to cook from it, you could. But I just think it's so entertaining as a, yeah, as a reading book. Yeah, yeah. It's, entertaining. it's entertaining. You're right. You're right. It's, it's informative. informative, and it's, and it's inspiring. inspiring. And the recipes, the recipes are there if, if, if that's uh, uh, that's what you want, you want to, do. to do. Yeah, I mean, there are some recipes that I would I would heartily recommend. There's a quite an incredible one, which is the roast chicken on panard which is an entire chicken basically cooked on leftover sort of stale bread. There's the Zuni, ca Zuni Cafe yeah, chicken yeah. and the, the panade, you, um, yeah, you basically put layers of caramelised onion, gruyere, um, bread and stock in a, in a big sort of tray or, or dish and then you put the chicken on top so that all the chickeny juices drip down into this cheesy oniony bready base and oh my goodness it's it's so good gosh yes well uh, a fantastic book uh, and when's that one coming out that one's out in september as well so september is a good month september's a very busy month in publishing generally and i think lots of publishers um, given the covid situation moved their books to the autumn but actually we didn't move any of ours around so our cookbooks we're always going to come out in September and October and been really happy at the response. Everyone's really excited about them. Yeah. And I notice you've got a new Caroline Eden book coming out. Uh... We have. That's November. That's Red Sands by Caroline Eden. Yes, um, it's, it's, I don't actually have a printed copy of that yet, but I'm very excited to get it. Yeah, it's, it should be an absolutely incredible book. Well, I mean, her last one, Black Sea, was a superb book, so I'm looking forward to this one as well. Yeah, I think um, I mean I think if anything, Red Sands is even better than Black Sea, which is saying something. It's a it's a sort of her journey across Central Asia, and which is obviously quite a sort of underreported, unknown region. Um, but as as with Black Sea, it's sort of Caroline's travels through the lens of food. It's just a, it's an amazing book, and she had a photographer Theo Kay who travelled 
with her and so the photography I mean I've never seen anything like it I think it's absolutely unique so yeah really really excited for that one well perhaps we could talk about uh, that that one Sarah when it's uh, nearer the time that'd be great Many thanks to Sarah Lavelle for taking us through those books. They were Home Cookery Year by Claire Thompson, The Wicked Baker by Elena Garcia, and Loaf Story by Tim Hayward. Three very different books, but all worth looking for when they're published in September. More news now, starting with two holiday closures at Cambridge Market. Emerald Foods will finish next Saturday, the 5th of September, and will return on the 23rd of September. If by chance they have to quarantine on their return, you'll be able to order from them online. And G&M's, the self-service fruit and veg store, closes today, that's Saturday, and it will return to the market in Cambridge on the 14th of September. Il Molino from Cambridge's Sunday Market will be selling the last few bottles of extra virgin olive oil this Sunday, and they won't be getting any more until November. Chocolat Chocolat from St Andrew Street in Cambridge are starting up their courses in September and are starting with an introduction to chocolate making course. Their courses take place at a local hotel and last two and a half to three hours. The cost of this course is £60 and the minimum age is 14. Details on the Chocolat Chocolat website. Provenance Kitchen is fully booked tomorrow, Sunday, but you can make reservations for September by phoning them on Cambridge 839-993. We've not been able to get any confirmation of this, but Alex Collis has tweeted that the Michael House Cafe is reopening next week. There had been some rumours that it was not going to reopen. There's a change of owner for Gorilla Kitchen as Karen from Bedouin takes over. Thanks, Sue. And there'll be some jobs news coming up towards the end of the programme. Now, next up, coffee. Coffee comes from cherries. Not everyone knows that. It isn't obvious. But the coffee bean is the pit inside the cherry. We call it a coffee bean because it looks like a bean, but it isn't. For this next feature, I got educated by the team of Shui Cam Coffee. They run a stall on Cambridge Market. Their coffee is Colombian, and it knocks your socks off. I tried a cardamom and ginger flavour last week. I haven't been to sleep since. Here is Mr Shui Cam Coffee to tell us more. Well, Shui Cam Coffee, we started four years ago, mainly because my wife is originally from Bogota in Colombia, and members of her extended family grow coffee in the south of Colombia, in a place called Huila. And she decided a good thing that she could do would be to import this coffee and sell it directly to people here in Cambridge and eliminate the multiple stages involved in the coffee trade. So we know where the coffee's grown, we have yet to be asked the GPS position of the exact bush, but at least we can point to which part of the valley that the coffee is grown in. Um, this is my wife's business and she has all the contacts with the growers. I mean, my day job is I'm a physicist. We met through a mutual friend who was doing a PhD in physics here in Cambridge. I was in the physics department and that's how we met. Yeah. The name Shui Kam, that is also Colombian? Well, it's a mix. Shui is an indigenous word which means sun. And Cam, because we're in Cambridge, so it's actually Cambridge Sun coffee in a mixture of English and Chibcha. So if people visit our stall, our design is a darker brown circle representing a drop of milk, I think called a Rayleigh crown. Lord Rayleigh, Professor of Physics at the Cavendish Laboratory in Cambridge. So there's a Cambridge influence there with the drop of milk. Then we have these kind of yellow triangles representing the rays of the sun. 
and then in the middle there's a coffee bean so it's coffee sun milk cambridge all together so there is a degree of thought that's gone into that logo but it's kind of worked out quite well have you been out to columbia yourself probably eight times Ooh. now the thing about colombia and growing co and it influences the growing of coffee colombia the equator goes through colombia this means that in colombia you can have two harvests of coffee per year from the same region south africa and uh, places that are far removed from the equator they generally have because of the climate only one harvest of coffee per year so we get coffee in colombia in say october to november but also kind of april to june as well there's two main types of coffee, Arabica, mm -hmm. which originates from the highlands of Ethiopia. It grows at higher altitudes, it grows in a variety of conditions from very rain and foresty, cloud forest to very dry conditions. Basically, the higher altitude you have, yeah. the more earthy, the more base notes you have to the flavour. Uh, the more rainy it is, the quicker the, the bean, they're called cherries, mm -hmm. but actually I think botanists call them droops because there's two beans in each cherry. The faster growing areas has a more fruity flavour. So I've been to the coffee plantations on a number of occasions, met some of the growers, seen, seen the conditions, which vary tremendously. But basically you're dealing with extended families, kind of owner, occupier, grower. Transport has always been a problem there. A lot of people still use donkeys and things like that because you're on a hillside. Mm. It's high altitude and you're on a hillside. So basically you've got to be able to climb up and climb down those hills. So mechanism, you know, can you get a truck, can you get a car? Well, for sure on the roads that will work. But when you actually get out into the plantations between the bushes, which are about you know, one and a half to two metres high, yeah. and they're spaced out, you know, one and a half to two metres, basically it'd be almost impossible to get very mechanised. So all of our coffee is hand picked. Do you get a mixture of uh, very wet and very arid? Uh, yes, so, it, so the higher altitude you are, uh, the drier it tends to be. Um, and that again contributes to the kind of more concentrated flavour you get from the range of coffee from those higher altitudes. Lower altitude, so there's a place called uh, Risaralda, uh, which is where one of our coffees come from. That is being noted in, I think, the Guinness Book of Records as the rainiest place on earth. I'm very sorry for any Mancunians listening, it's Risaralda is the rainiest place on earth. Um, and that means that that tends to have a more nutty flavour, because it's very hot and tropical, I means it should grow fast, but it's not so high altitude, so that has a more nutty flavour as a result. We also have a range of organic coffee, which comes from the Tyrona indigenous community. They live in the Sierra Nevada, so the snowy mountains of Santa Marta, which is relatively near the Caribbean coast of Colombia. And um, their plantation, I have to say, looks a bit like a jungle, mainly because it is mainly still a jungle, with some coffee bushes in there. And basically, it's a fully certified organic. In that case, the extended family is a subsection of the Tyrona Indian tribe. What you find is some of your customers really want to know it's organic, they really want to know there's a connection with the farmers, they really want a, a backstory, mm. and they want to feel they're having a, a quality drink. Other people obviously just want a quick coffee to grab on the way to work. Um, that's all absolutely fine. So you, you, it's like everything, there's a complete range of interests, ranging from people who just want a coffee, absolutely fine. Those people who want the full uh, backstory and want to know that they're actually contributing to social development um, in another country. So absolutely everything. And so we have some very regular customers ranging um, from some of the fellows in colleges, uh, ranging to people who just 
just live locally in, in college, other market traders. So you know, you get to meet a, a wide range of people. So what we display to the customers is each coffee has its name. So medium strong is our only medium strong roast. That's from a cooperative. That's in from Huila, Tolima. That's got a very specific name. So this is what's called a single origin coffee. This means it comes from a single plantation. And so this plantation grows raspberries, cacao, and as well as coffee. Mm -hmm. uh, we give people the altitude and some idea of a what's called a tasting note. So smooth, no acid taste, for example. So if I go to Tolima, that's from the cloud forest, come down to Mistrato, this is the rainiest place on earth, that's kind of a more nutty flavour. And here you see that because it's a more tropical environment, that plantation also grows orange, lime and coffee. Mm -hmm. Then Nariño, Nariño 2100 metres, so it tends to do red fruits, cinnamon, so things that you associate with a slightly more arid environment. 2,100 meters, Nariño is in the extreme south of Colombia. Mm -hmm. So that's the one with a very earthy flavor. Next along we have Manta. Now this won the International Prize in Paris in 2016 for kind of equilibrium of flavor and fragrance because how you smell has a large effect on how you perceive what you're eating. So there is this test that maybe you want to uh, do at home get one of those um, kind of chewy uh, fruity chewy flavored sweets put it in your mouth chew it then pinch your nose mm -hmm. and put another one in they will taste completely different so fragrance is important so Manta won the prize for body uh, flavor and fragrance the other thing is uh, because these farmers are owner occupiers they know whatever they put on their plants gets in their water mm. so a lot of these people are not certified organic, but they're effectively organic because they know that any pesticides they use will get into their water supply. So they're very uh, aware of what they're doing to the environment. And also they need a biodiversity of animals around their plants because again, it helps with flavor, it helps with the soil conditions. Well, thank you very much. That's been a very informative <laughs> feature on <laughs> coffee. You. Such beautiful smells here in the market today. I think the, the council are almost missing a trick. They should put the bagel guy and you together. You'd be the perfect combination. I, 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 I think if they put a bagel, coffee and books together, that, oh. might be, that might be the thing to do. And maybe with a commemorative t-shirt. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You're an excellent salesman. Thank you. <laughs> and this is Shuekan Coffee on Flavour on Cambridge 105 Radio. Every cup supports the small growers, families and social development in Colombia. Shuei Can Coffee are on Cambridge Market on Fridays, Saturdays, Sundays and Mondays, 10 till 4. The easiest way to find them is to look for the Colombian flag hanging above their stool. It has coffee beans on it, of course. And there's the music that normally signals time for the latest food tweets from the city for today, Saturday. But today, we'll use it to remind you that as well as being on Twitter, Flavor can be found on Instagram too, at Flavor105. Our final feature today, and it is a brief one, comes from CoFarm, Cambridge's first community farm. It's near Coldham's Common, and here is Gavin Shelton, the founder and CEO, with a few words. 
Well, thank you very much, Matt, for having us on the show. Yeah, just to say that we've now fully up and running at CoFarm Cambridge. And since the end of May, really, um, still during lockdown, we, we started creating an organic market garden on our first community farm in Cambridge. So it's a two-acre market garden on a seven-acre site just off Barnwell Road. We've been basically been growing as much food as we possibly can on that site. Started harvesting in July, believe it or not, just, just a few weeks after getting our first crops in the ground. And everything that we grow at Cove Farm Cambridge is being donated to the seven emergency food hubs that have been established across the city in response to the pandemic in collaboration with our partners at Cambridge Sustainable Food and the Food Poverty Alliance. And it's all great food as well. It's um, it's organic. It's produced without any chemicals or pesticides or herbicides. So it's really high quality. It's being grown by some of the best growers in the business. And Peter Rapson and Don Walsh are brilliant horticulturists who are leading all the activities there. We've had 150 volunteers involved in this effort so far. That's how we've been able to create a really productive market garden in such a short space of time, which is already producing a lot of food and we really need the public's support actually so we're running out of cash fast we're, we're not selling anything obviously this season so we still have about six thousand pounds that we need to raise in order to um, continue growing for the rest of the growing season and donate everything to the emergency food hubs so we'd really appreciate any support that your listeners might be able to lend to the project and they can do that by visiting cofarm.co. That's our website. It's just cofarm.co. And they'll see details of how, how to donate on our donate page there. And also how to come and join us as well. As I said, we've had a, a brilliant effort of lots and lots of people coming to join us, really enjoying learning about sustainable food production and getting to know new people, learning new skills, and having a really safe, fun time in an inspiring environment. So it's a lovely place to be, lovely people, and we do hope that people will sign up for our newsletter, support us financially, and come and join in. That was Gavin Shelton of CoFarm. Just to repeat, their website is cofarm.co, C-O-F-A-R-M dot C-O. Nice and simple. And it contains their donation page. The link is on the top right-hand side of their website. They're doing such good work for the community. And I'm hoping to get down to the farm soon to meet Gavin and the team. And in a future episode, give you a flavour of what life is like at the community farm. There's Green Onions signalling the start of our job section. Midsummer House has a vacancy for their front of house team. To express your interest, contact Nicole by email on restaurant.manager at midsummerhouse.co.uk. The Kingston Arms in Kingston Street is looking for part-time bar and kitchen staff. Experience is essential. Drop your CV off at the bar or email director.kingston.arms at ntlworld.com. Wagamama is looking for a chef, a sous chef, a kitchen porter, a front of house manager and front of house team members for their Central Cambridge restaurant. Details on how to apply can be found on the Wagamama website. And there are some jobs available at their restaurant in the Cambridge Leisure Park too. That's all the time we have for today. Our next edition will be back at our former time of 12 noon. We are also repeated on alternate Sundays at 2pm, then again on Mondays at 6pm. And don't forget there is also the podcast which will be available early next week. 
Coming up next on Cambridge 105 Radio today is Bookmark, in which Lee Chambers is joined by Jennifer Wallace, and she'll be discussing her new book, Tragedy Since 9-11, which argues that a knowledge of tragedy in literature can help us understand tragic events of the 21st century. Children's writer Jane Blingham talks about why she was drawn to the picture book genre and YA author Bex Hogan chats about world building for her first novel Viper and how it all came about as a result of a dream. But that's all from us. We'll be back on the 12th of September at 12 noon. But until then, goodbye. 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 Goodbye.